Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, it's the interview series. I'm Zane. Thanks for joining us. Catching up with Corey Taylor, who is a founding member of one of the most impactful and influential heavy metal bands of all time, Slipknot. When they first came out, they really were this, this kind of very unchecked, hard to quantify group of outsiders from Des Moines, Iowa, with these kind of homemade masks, these boiler suits. None of it felt industry. None of it felt pristine and organized. It just felt very from the ground up. It was visceral. Seeing them live for the first time was just visceral. This whole thing just felt like it could spiral off and and end up in chaos at any second. Now, obviously, since then, success has fit Slipknot as a business very well and they've gone on and they've been able to develop this original idea of Slipknot into something that is enormous and is is now a festival business and it's you know award winning and they've gone on and, and sold millions and millions of records and reached millions of fans but of course there's been some really well documented tragedies as well members have come and gone some have tragically passed away all of it is part of the Slipknot story and the whole story is, is open for discussion with Corey on this conversation you know we've touched base on some really sensitive subjects in the past but I've known Corey for a very long time and I always really appreciate his honesty, his transparency and uh, I really appreciate the band. So myself and Corey Taylor diving into Slipknot up to this point right here. Who knows where it goes but today we find ourselves on the interview series. Who do Slipknot think they are? <laughs> yes, you are. Of for the best. Yes, you are, man. But boy, the audacity coming out with an album like this starting like that i love it as soon as it started man i was like all right go on then go on yeah, then take yeah. us take us wherever you want to take us and that's what you do <laughs> well i'm glad you dig it because i mean right now i keep going back and forth going what are people gonna think when they hear this album? i'm so glad Dude, that you're thinking about trip. that now i'm so oh, glad you're yeah. thinking about that now rather than when you made it because because oh, yeah, no. that's how I know that every member of Slipknot was present during the making of this album. Because if you hadn't been, you could have second-guessed any one of half a dozen or a dozen directions you've gone down on, down on this record. Right, right. The thing is, is like, I mean, we've always kind of felt like that. I mean, it started with Volume 3. You know, after all hope is gone, we were like, you know, what are people going to think? You know, I mean, even after we are not your kind, we kind of looked at each other. It was like, man, did we did we push it too far? Did we not push it far enough? You know, like so with this album, you know, it was just another, obviously another extension of boundaries, uh, pushing it, going, how much further can we take the listener into territory that they've never been before, but we feel totally comfortable doing, you know? And that's the beautiful thing about hearing this album is sometimes I feel like I never knew you at all. And, that, <laughs> and that's that's a really amazing thing as a lifelong fan of a band to realize is that um, right. there's still so much road to run. And yet here you are once again playing around with finality. I was reading some of the quotes that you were given about the album title and about how fans have responded in real time through the internet to, to that statement. Because it could go either way, right? It's a really clever statement, right? The end so far, because it could say dot, dot, dot. We've got lo a lot further to run. It could also right. be two full stops. The end. We came so far, right? Right. Was it that cerebral for you did you guys sit around and go this could be taken either way uh, yeah for the most part because we had a couple of different 
names that we were playing around with, you know, because I mean, they kind of let me run with with the titles and whatnot. So for me, that was like a big thing for me. I was like trying to find the perfect name for this, you know, trying to find something that would would not sound too finite, you know, but at the same time, something to challenge the listener. We've always tried to do that with the album. I, there's nothing I hate worse than a typical cliched album title, you know? So for me, it was like, you know, where, where are we right now? What's happening? It felt like this was the second stage of our career and we were coming to the end of what we thought, what we were looking at. It was kind of the, the albums that took us out of the original run. Yeah. When it was such so a, like, that was such a powerful yeah. run. And I think that, yeah. I think that this second run that you, as you put it, it buys you a future as long as you want, but there must've been times at the beginning of that second run when you were kind of working out what the band was going to be through loss, tragedy, acrimony dysfunction how do we actually make this a sustainable living experience that we want to come to work for right because because when you're right. young you don't think about that shit. you're like i you know i hate you right now but the show was awesome i you know right. it's just it all ladders up to the show yeah and i mean that's and that's been slipknot its whole career <laughs> right know? but the show can't go on if it's just about right. the show right well, exactly. And that's why, you know, I mean, after, obviously after we lost Paul, there was, and then, you know, parting ways with Joey, which, you know, who'd have thought that would ever happen, yeah, but it was such never. a weird fractious time when we did 0.5 and we've talked about it in the past. It's like, do we even want to do this anymore? You yeah. know, like, is this, is this it? You know? And, by the time we started point five and realized that we had things that we needed to say just as, just to say goodbye, you know, we get to, we are not your kind. And it was like, okay, now what's the story now? Musically, we were all kind of, you know, creating again and talking. I was obviously going through my issues and that gave me the template to run with that. Now we get to the end so far, which is Okay. We've established that we want to write and create again, and we've established that there's gloves off. We can do whatever we want, and we support each other as long as there's a touchstone to come back to that feels like Slipknot. Now, what do we talk about? And for me, the new challenge for me is going back to what I used to do when I first started out as a songwriter. It's kind of looking out instead of going internally, looking out now and going, okay, how do I relate to worlds outside of my own purview and write about things that maybe I don't identify with? And maybe it's, this comes from my idea of what life for other people is, you know, dealing with abuse, dealing with stress, de dealing with religion and things like that. So it's, it's me kind of coming back full circle instead of, kind of ripping myself to shreds and, and burying it all kind of going, okay, I know who I am. Let's talk about who you are. Let's talk about who the fans are, you know, and that's been a, a whole new territory for me. I love it. You know what it is, man, is a destination based on the growth you've been showing, you know, like right. the lyrics on this album, are honestly, Corey, we're friends, but I can say this to you with a straight face. They're astounding. And, uh, when I met you, you were a performer. 
right? right? You were like, every part of your being was to like vomit up that internal anguish and trauma through performance. And then you became a singer and Stone Sour really allowed you to start to explore your range. Now, this is your writing phase. Like we know you're an author, but this is where you're really applying all those skills as a writer. Thank you. Thank you. No, and it's, I, I feel like this is kind of starting to show that, you know, and, it, and it's, it's been good too, because for me, it's kind of been like looking back and not wanting to repeat myself, not wanting to fall into the gerbil wheel, you know, where I'm just kind of spinning my wheels and talking about the same over and over and over again. You mean the Slipknot Lyrical app? The Slipknot Lyric app that everyone can download and you put in six (laughs) keywords and out comes a Slipknot Lyric? Here it comes, yep. And it's like, you know, push your fingers in your ass. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got something to do with pushing something on my body into something else on my body because f*** you, that's why. (laughs) That's right. And you can't do anything about it because we, you don't know us. Whatever, it's, yeah, exactly. I want to start with finale because what's interesting is that, yeah, you're, you're acknowledging a lot of what people go through and experience in life. But to me, it feels very much like a testament for the band. Like if I look at these lyrics, you know, I know it's a shame, but I got to stay because I like it here. And then you just, the list is just the accidents, the bitter pills, the innocence, the common sense. I'm doing it in random order, by the way, the outer reach, the inner void, the cellular, you know, the darker thoughts, ultimatums, tangled knots, long depressions. It's like, this is a f***ing timeline of the band. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it was good too, because, you know, last track, sometimes it, it's it's always gonna, you know, people might want it to be that downer. But for me, the beauty of that song is the journey that the music kind of takes you on. So for me, it was just like, well, I want the lyrics to kind of reflect that, you know, because the music is all over the place. Yeah. You know, it, it goes from, you know, this very beautiful Soft, chord progression. Yeah. There's the choirs going on in the background. And then there's, you know, all this uh, great guitar work that Mick and Jim are doing, which is you just listening to it and you're like, man, this is insane. So for me, I wanted vocally lyrically i wanted it to to take that same journey you know and kind of tell people it's like listen this isn't the end this is merely you know one of the stations of our the cross that we bear basically and we just we're you know let's let's kind of recap the story before we head out into the sunset you've done it man and when you put it in list form like that Corey, it's it's um Wow, it's a complete life, man. It's 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 a lot going on. I want to talk about the line though that really anchors the song, which is I know it's a shame, but I gotta stay because I like it here. That's yeah. about as confused a lyric as you've ever written. Um <laughs> because because on the one hand, it starts with a with a a solemn and negative image that ultimately ends right. in a place of acceptance. And I guess my question for you at this point in your life, over 20 years with the band. Which one is it? And does it change on a daily basis? Well, I think that line is really a sign of maturity, to be honest, because for me, I mean, and I hate to say it, but most of my career, it's almost been like this weird juxtaposition. You know, it's like I'm always happier in the situation that I'm in looking at 
the set the situations that I know I'm going to make my way back to later. <laughs> it's so crazy. So, Beautifully put. It's like I'm way. looking. Yeah, and it's just like I'm like, yeah, that's all bullshit. I love it over here though. And then I turn around. Oh, that's all bullshit. I love it over here though. And it's just, and I I don't know if it's just it's life. Hubris that's just life that comes with life. Yeah, and, and it's me basically going, man. I when I was young, I didn't realize how and lucky i was and how good i had it you know and thankfully you know the world didn't just you know tell me to go f- myself and it well we couldn't I've we all tried able. we all tried well yeah but i didn't go none of you I, I, <laughs> everyone tried to fucking, dude the bus left early so many times and yet we got to the yeah. stop sign and you were all still on it yep to me it's looking back on the things that i've said over the course of my career and just the fact that I've always been so angry and so bitter and just whatever. And just, and then as time's gone on, you kind of have that, that Eureka moment where you're like, I've gotten to do everything that I've ever wanted to do. What the hell have I, what's been, you know, and the appreciation that I have for Slipknot now that I might not have had earlier, you know, because of the bullshit and the drama, you know, whatever it's, it's, it's that line really, sums up the turnaround that I've had when it comes to this band the, the, like being able to look at what we've done and the appreciation and the the love that I have for these assholes I'm in a band with that just it's it's like you know everybody who was kind of betting against us it's just like I know it sucks right but we're staying so we love it here it's just like that's kind of where it's at so maturity has kept the band together, right? Life and experience and the challenges, and there's been a lot of tragedy and a lot of triumph in this band, and somehow it's brought you closer together. Most of the time, most of the time that splits people up. That's what divorce comes from, right? Too much of everything. It's actually brought you closer together. So my question is, before we get back to the end so far, I want to talk about the beginning as it stands. I've never really been in a situation where I think we can really honestly discuss this point because you've always sort of rejected it because it's like, I don't want to reflect, but who were you all back in the late nineties? And ultimately what brought you together? It all comes down to the scene that we were a part of. I mean, we were kind of the, the driven, hungry, angry psychos in the Des Moines scene. And we were all in our individual bands trying to make it but we all recognized each other in those bands realizing that the keys were there and this is coming from somebody who was you know recruited afterwards i even knew it like watching the band from the outside i was like that band is going to make it you know and it's like i would love to do it with this band i don't know if it's going to happen but i'm going to do everything i can to get where i need to go and that was before i even was asked to join Slipknot. So they recognized that in me. So the hunger and the burning desire to show the world, not only that there's real merit and creativity in a fucking barren wasteland like Des Moines, Iowa, but the fact that we as nine insane people could go into the world, basically reshape it in our image <laughs> like a bunch of assholes that was, I mean, that's, we were, 
as far as times and music are concerned, it, it was a it was a very memorable time. You made it a very memorable time because you you put everything that was truly ugly and you celebrated it every night and celebrated on record and you encouraged us to not try to to bury the ugly, right? And Yeah, no, don't be ashamed of it. Yeah, it was ugly fucking shows and but it was it was just crazy times. And I just think about the the chemistry you had to have as a band in order to, to perform and deliver every night like that, where your life, it felt like your life depended on it. It felt like my life was at threat, standing on the side of stage. It was that f***ing visceral. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, when you have to join a band like that and you have to go to war every f***ing night and you don't know each other like best friends, you don't know each other like intrinsically, you've got to kind of find right. each other in process with the benefit of hindsight now, how challenging was that on you as a human being and you think on your friends having to force yourself into that chemistry? Oh, it, I, it was 100%. It was difficult. I mean, and this, I think that's one of the reasons why we were all so angry early on is because we weren't all necessarily on the same page a lot. We were so different. The one thing that we had in common was the music and the drive. Outside of that, I mean, with the exception of pairs of people in the band, you know, even some of the guys who had been in bands together before Slipknot, there was just a battering of heads. Always, always. We were never stoked. Let's put it that way. We were never never stoked i mean we were always just so pointed in the direction of what we needed to do it wasn't i, mean, I gotta be honest man it wasn't until we lost paul and joey and i'm talking about even recently that we really all kind of turned to each other and said you know what i need you to know how much i appreciate you like even even knowing that you're completely different from me as a person and we have run in completely different circles for so long i love who you are and i love what we've done together you know i mean and we just did it the other night when we played uh we played the blue ridge festival in alton virginia middle of nowhere dude and i mean it's dumping rain we are all out of our minds i was sick um, I didn't have the vid, but I was, I had this viral thing going on. So it was really, I was just like, I don't know if we're going to, I don't know how it's going to sound. We hadn't seen each other in like two and a half weeks because we got done with Europe and we fled. We just, we, we were just like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see you. Yeah, yeah. I'm so tired of looking at your face. Yeah. And that moment when you come off that, the plane and you don't even yeah. wait for each other, it's oh. like, you're gone. And it's just like. It's like, I don't even want to go to the airport at the same time as you. I just, you know what? I'm going to time it. So my car leaves 10 minutes after yours. <laughs> this is a real thing, people. That's I've seen so it happen. Real. I've oh, seen it happen. so real. But then you get back to a point where you, you, you haven't seen each other and you roll in. And the first thing they did, dude, and this, it warms my heart. They, they asked me how I was feeling because they knew I wasn't feeling good. They knew it was going to be tough. We hadn't played in a while. And it's dumping rain. You know, we didn't have Clown because Clown was dealing with a family issue. Mm. And we were just like, you know what? Let's just, let's just pull together. It's a one-off. 
let's just have fun with it, you know? And we went out there and we came off stage and dude, we were drenched. I mean, we were fucking drenched and we were singing. We were talking to each other about the beauty of the song on the loose by saga. Like, yeah. This is a true story. Like yeah. we were like, we're in the backstage singing it. No one can stop me now. Like we're pumping it and just laughing and loving it. And that's the that has brought us together now is the fact that we are embracing each other for who we are instead of really being at war with each other because we they weren't I wanted them to be. Let's uh. put it that way. Yeah, so it's been it's been huge, man. It's been it's been big for us. There's some real playing on this album, Corey. Yeah. And some real singing, but some real playing, like mature playing too, to your point, like showing like like major growth within the musicality of it. But I want to start with Jay. Mm. Because there's playing on this album that Jay Weinberg, your drummer of some time now, does that I've never actually heard before. Like there's some fucking ridiculous innovation going on and drumming going on within that space. So from inside the band and inside the room, let's create some space for some Jay Weinberg appreciation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, first of all, think about the shoes that he had to step into, you know, second of all, think about dealing with all of us. You know, this album allowed him to take a breath and go, okay, I can now not only play and express myself, but I can, I can have some say over what I do in the parts. And I think we were encouraging him to do that, but at the same time, you know, kind of still treating him like the new guy going, well, I don't know, you shouldn't, you know, this is him really stepping out of his box, man. There's so much, there's a lot of flavor. And what he plays, he explores the openness a lot more, lays back on it. And I think that came from Joe Parisi really telling him, is like, you don't have to overplay it. Just let these parts be what they are. Yeah, the way and I then, described it to my yeah. friend was there's more groove, less smash on this record. Yeah, that's exactly it. But there's definitely smash there, you know, like it's, but it's in, it's in spots. And I exactly. think that's kind of what, that's what Joey did so well he knew when to explode but he also knew when to lay down the groove and i think that's where jay is really starting to find his place in this band because that this band has always been about that you mentioned joey a couple of times in this conversation and it was crazy because because yeah. he's been on my mind a, a little bit lately too i've i've a few people referencing him in, in, in places and then knowing I was going to talk to you and then hearing the new album and recognizing and respecting Jay's contribution, but also being reminded about just what an innovator and what a, a remarkable all-time drummer Joey, Joey will always be is playing. Right. You know, I wanted to ask you about life in relation to mortality, because when you start out a band and it's you and your friends, you never think about the inevitable stops along the way that life is going right. to make you make you go through. You just don't think like if we stick around again for 30 years, naturally there's going to be divorce. Naturally there's there might be death. There just right. shit's going to happen cuz life goes on around you. And I wonder at this point in your life through the lens of this band what you've learned about life as a whole. I've been saying it for a while. I mean, we've all reached the point 
in life where life is taking things away instead of giving us stuff, you know, like what we have is, I mean, not that life is, doesn't give us, stuff, but the things that we have, we've had for a while, you know, now at this point in life, it's starting to extricate instead of to add mm. as you get older, you start to appreciate what you do have, you know, and you lament the losses. You lament the fact that you never had to truly make peace with the people who you lost, you know? Um, and that's something that I've been doing just in my own life period is reaching out to people who I haven't talked to in a while and really bearing hatchets because it's just, it's, that and that will just can weigh you down, you know. You know, me and Joey, we had talked over the years, every now and then, you know, like it would just be random, but we never said to each other what we needed to say to each other, you know. I, at least I didn't say it to Joe, but that was the complicated thing about Joey was the fact that. He was so many different people in one person that it was hard to kind of get a bead on what was going on at any given time. Mm -hmm. You know, he had demons that would have killed normal people. He was one of the true musical geniuses I'd ever met. Mm -hmm. It was just complicated. He was, you know, everybody likes to sugarcoat a lot of after the fact but you don't realize that what you're doing is you're dehumanizing them and that's yes, yeah. i can't do that because i can lived with these guys yeah, it's you not know? a complete it's, picture yeah. it's not a complete no. picture you know I, I i actually think that's a really really sage point that we that that in, and sometimes and i'm not talking specifically about joey anybody that that we lose too soon when we place them in an environment where we only talk about the greatness we we actually we reduce them to just that. And that's not a right. complete picture. Right. Yeah. And it just, and it doesn't do them justice because of what they had to go through in yeah. their lives dealing with to it. To get because, on stage I mean, every yeah. night to play those songs. I mean, people think, oh, that's just talent. Nah, man. It's, it's clear that he had to fight through so much to do what he did. Yeah. And, you know, the, the goddamn tragedy of it is that we, we did everything we could to try and be there, not only for him, but for Paul, you know, I mean, we, we would rally and we would rally and we would rally. And it, it, it's just a fucking shame, man. You know, the, yeah. the, the world is less cool without him in it. You are somebody who through a combination of love and support, determination, dumb luck, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe a few angels on your shoulder as well for real. Who who has who's you know has come to the other side, healthy. You got light in your eyes. I've seen light not in your eyes. I definitely see light in your eyes. Yeah. You know, you seem really together. And so now we've talked about life and mortality. Let's talk about life and opportunity, and how you feel about life right now at this moment. Sort of approximately halfway through yours, if you're lucky, and and where yeah. you see the potential and possibility and what's great about life. My life is very uncomplicated right now. Let's put it that way. And I like that. I, 
I have never been, I mean, my, the whole first half of my life was so glutted with complication and drama and all that bullshit that I didn't want. So I, I don't like going out and finding that to be sitting here right now with the state where my family is, the state where my, my relationship, my marriage is, uh, where I'm at professionally, uh, spiritually, I'm probably in the best mindset of my life, man. Like it's, it's being rad. Like I can't tell you how happy it makes me to know that, you know, I'm still pursuing the things that I want to do. I'm spending time with the people who I want to spend time with and I'm getting to do it on my own terms, which maybe that takes time to get to, but at the same time, it's just like, you have to have the courage to put your foot down and say, no, I'm doing it this way. Was well, that what the turning on. point was? Because with the way that you, you said something before, it's really interesting to me, the idea of like, my life was just the first half of my life was so full of chaos yeah. and drama and the anxiety that came with all that. And I didn't even want any of it. And a lot of people right. who go through that experience in life are drawn to it or even at times draw yourself to it, even though you don't want it, you don't know how this constantly attractive beam drawing this into your life because you just haven't done the work, right? You haven't processed what the connection is between the trauma and the reality that you're in right now. And so, and so I guess, how did you make that break? Because you could have just as easily still been thrashing and, and, and swept up in that undertow if you hadn't done right. that work. So what changed for you? I mean, sobriety, obviously. Um, I guess the, the strength that comes with self-knowledge, self-realization, knowing who you are and figuring out that it's okay to say no and put a stop to certain shit in your life, you know? Like it's that's been a big thing for me because in the past I was surrounded by people who would just push me in the directions that they wanted me to go and mm. or they would, you know, for their own personal benefits get me doing certain things or showing up to certain things or exhausting me by giving complete access to me to people who didn't deserve it let's put it that way and that will push you down i mean it's one of the biggest triggers for depression is feeling like your life is not in your own control or, or whatever i mean because i mean life is what it is but at the same time if you don't feel like you've at least got a handle on it it will drive you into the ditch so for me the biggest part has been kind of reasserting my own grip on what is okay for me, what is okay for my family, what is okay for what I want to do in life and reconfiguring the energy that I put towards different, you know? And that's where a song like Yen also plays a really important role because you're a writer. And right. so you got to reflect where you're at. Creating the space on a Slipknot album to be able to write you know, what is ultimately a tribute like that must kind of blow your mind. You must be able to step away from your experience of being that person to be able to go, okay, we've come a long way. For this to exist on this track, we've come a long way. Yeah, yeah but I mean, I mean, for the year, for years, we've we've dipped our toes and stuff like that. But this know? is so overt. Me, this is overt. This is like a lot. Oh, this, quite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, 
it's a rad it's a rad love song you know it really is I yeah love and, it. and it's yeah for us it was like i mean if we were going to do a slipknot a love song this was the way to go you know and and i love that people listened to it at first and they were like they were like well this is kind of toxic isn't it and it's like well you've obviously never been in love before you no, know it's like, an honest reflection there's times where exactly and for me, I sometimes love I think Corey, honest. I think we actually often write and listen to love songs based on the image we desire right. from love versus the reality of it. It's it's really fantasy work. And this one is very based in reality because I mean, I don't want to you know put my wife on the spot, but she's the raddest person on the planet, and she and I connect on so many different levels that. If I was going to write a dark love song about her, it was going to come from a spot where I'd probably make her blush if I was talking yeah. about this. Yeah. But she, when I played it for her, she just was like blown away. She just loved it. So I was just like, ah, right, we nailed it. This is your third marriage and you've been in, in you write through the filter of your relationships really openly. Yeah. You just got to know the signs. If you're a fan of your writing, you got to be able to read the signs. Right. It's all in there. Right. You know, I know that the last breakdown of your last relationship affected you really deeply and was deeply hurtful. They all are, but I know that you had to go through it. What did you learn about, about moving forward with somebody in your life so that this one could be different right. and and benefit from those lessons, you know? Especially in your position as the front man of multiple bands. You don't have a normal right. day job, bro. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, you know, it's funny because I think the thing that I learned the most was that I'm wrong a lot, you know? Mm. Like, and... I think that was something I was afraid to be in my early relationships. You know, like I was afraid to be wrong and to admit I was wrong because to me, the way I was raised or the way I was kind of you know, brought up or whatever, that was a sign of weakness. Failure. And yeah, well, it's a, not only failure, but just deception in a weird way you know so it's like as honest i was always trying to be in my relationships there was always this thing where it felt like i had to hold a part of myself back because i felt like that person wouldn't accept who i was and then if i ever found myself in a situation where i was wrong or i was misinterpreted or whatever then that then i would immediately become defensive and it would become, you know, so I definitely. And there's no road to and, run when you get like that. Yeah, exactly. There's no road to well, run. I mean, it's like, that's where the road stops. You got to start a whole new road. Exactly. And realizing that and realizing that I was a part of the toxicity of the situation made me turn around and go, okay, if I ever find myself in a relationship again, it has to be. And this, but that took therapy. That took self-reflection. That took that took really being honest with the fact that it's like I need to figure out what's going on with me before I even start talking to anybody else. You yeah. know, and you know, I mean, the beautiful thing about my wife is the fact that she accepts me warts and all. It's it's one of those things where she actually likes the fact that I'm not, you know, this big badass 
dude. She like, she just like, she's just like, you're, it's like, I love you for who you are, you know, whether you're right or not, you know, there's definitely things that drive her nuts about me, but I can say the same thing about her and yeah. the fact that we can actually talk about it instead of it turning into this massive conflagration is probably the most mature relationship I've ever oh, been that's in. That's where the juice know? is. That's where the good. Yeah, is. exactly. And, you know, my wife is, I mean, I'll say it, man. She's the best person I've ever met. And the fact that she's with me is, I'm still like, well, that must mean there's something wrong with you. If you're hanging out with a bum like me, I don't know. Yeah, you figured (laughs) it out. That's the secret component. That's what we have to always figure out, man. Whenever we meet someone like that in our lives is uh, what our role in it is. And I agree, man. I've been married 23 years this year, bro. And I'm still- Oh, dude, congratulations, Thanks, man. man. I'm still trying to figure figure out like what happened on the day she agreed to marry me and and, (laughs) like why she hasn't come to her senses. You know, when I think about Slipknot, I think about fans. I, it's funny, you know, a lot is made of fa- of fan bases now and people name them and this, that and everything else. You guys were the first out the gate. Maggots were like, I mean, this was, like, you were like prototype in terms of like right. really unionizing your fans and saying you are now an entity unto yourself. You have influence over the band as a, if, if you can, th- if you can think and move as one, I'm going to listen to any one of you right. bitch about our band individually, but as a whole, <laughs> we like to hear you, right. hear what you have to say. And it felt like you really, that's the best way I can put it is you kind of gave your fan base rights early on. Right. Yeah. It, it seemed, it seemed natural just for the fact that, you know, they were responsible for us getting to where we got to, you know, especially in light of where the music industry was at the time, pop music was at at the time. And then obviously post 9-11, the only reason we even were able to hang on was because of the fans, because we were blacklisted everywhere. Like we couldn't catch a damn cab at the time. It was just like, what's happening? So when you give the audience that level of responsibility, that level of ownership, they take it very, very seriously, man. And even though over the years we have challenged them as listeners, we've also made sure that they understand, I mean, they're with us every step of the way, man. You know, we do everything we can to make sure that they are getting exactly what they want. You know, I mean, and, and it's, that comes because we care and it's, it doesn't come down to a situation where we're looking to try and monetize or weaponize or do anything like that. You know, it's for us, it's a very symbiotic relationship. You know how I know you're telling the absolute truth on this particular point, even though I, I, you've never done anything, but, but in this particular case, not fest. Now you talk about not ever wanting to monetize or weaponize the the fan base. People will cry foul on that and say, yeah, but you've created a commercial entity called NotFest with very little understanding about the actual financial risk and the effort that goes into building a traveling (laughs) touring festival. I mean, there's very, very small chance you're ever going to make any money out of that. Most of them die on the road. And yet you've kept this thing alive for a long time. And, and you've done so for the benefit of the experience of your fans to control and give them the full Slipknot experience. Yeah. I mean, the, and the, the most important thing with Knotfest is that we agreed right out of the gate that we weren't going to try and push growth 
and try and outgrow the pace. We wanted it to happen organically. We wanted it to happen naturally. It's one of the reasons why it's never really been a big tour. We do the road show, yeah, but that's four bands with a museum and you know things kind of going yeah, on here and there. It feels bespoke still. Can you remember the first one? How many people were at the first one? Where was the first one? I want to say the first one was in Iowa, actually. It was at the the balloon field in Indianola. It was actually the same field where we had all the usual the kind of like radio festivals and whatnot would happen in that same kind of field. And we we had it there. And it was it was cool, it was fun. And then the next day or the two days later, we did another one in Madison, Wisconsin, where in the same place where we played with Ozfest and it was the same, like it was the same kind of it. So we started small. We started, you know, unassuming. You also kind of see you also started in middle America where you're from. You started in the heartland. And and there's something about Slipknot which is fascinating to me is that this almost comic book, very visceral, very intense, dark comic book come to life which is what I kind of always think of Slipknot as the, is the human experience through the filter of what you see in a really dark cult comic. <laughs> right. You know, like where you can yeah. write those stories that people won't feel comfortable writing with their own face and their own experience. It's like, no, I can go there. I can go there with this. But that it came from the heartland, that it didn't right. come from yeah. the coasts where, where, where the streets are real. It came from, from the heartland where it's a different kind of intensity. Can you help us understand that from your through your filter the connection between some of the most remote locations in the biggest countries in the world and a band like Slipknot, how it can come from the heartland? I mean, think about it. You're talking about a place that is bereft of any kind of ties to industry, ties to entertainment, ties to you know being able to encourage and nurture a sort of whether it's a band or an act or a movie or any sort of anything like that you're basically talking about a desolate hole in the ground metaphorically and realistically so when you come from a place like that the desire is very visceral it's very real you know and that's why we've always said we can't we couldn't have come from a place on either coast we couldn't have come from a major city because those places are almost saturated with opportunity opportunities, opportunities. and exactly yeah. and just i mean there's so many bands and so many this and so many that but there's also all kinds of people there to pay attention we had nothing mm. just trying to get people to come to Des Moines was a fucking nightmare, dude. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we would send something for a label to listen to and they would go, oh, well, I can't get a direct flight. <laughs> so we're not going <laughs> to. So go. that's it. And you, know, like, you, go, you do not get a green light because I can't fly one way to your fucking town. Exactly. Wow. And I can't, you know, I, and I, and know every label that and did it to us. I'll, and I could say it right now, and I'm not going to give them the benefit. But that also meant that the people who did make the trek, yeah. Ross Robinson, you know, he 
he felt the potential. He saw the potential. And then when he, when he was able to put two and two together and really see it in the environment, he was just like, Oh, okay. I mean, dude, he was the only one really that came. I think about stories like Slipknot and it's such a unique experience to watch something like that take get a grip on people because it really is that beautiful thing that art only at its ex- most extreme can do which is take something that exists in a very real way around you but put it through almost like it, it's like it's like an alien behavior so right. it's like I do not understand these people where they're from why they're wearing what they're wearing or fucking why they're, they're saying, saying and playing what they're playing but I'm here for it so right, it, right. that's what Ross could see right here, right? He was like, these guys are so out of the picture, they're going to be the only thing anyone's going to want to see. I don't even think he realized how big it was going to be, dude. Like, I mean, because none of us did. To this day, I still look back and go, I mean, we threaded a needle that I don't even know if a band like Slipknot could make that happen today because it's so real and it's so over the top. But it took so much out of the gate and the the old system is just not what it was you know and labels won't take the same risks you know there's no way to truly in a lot of ways make the kind of money in our genre to be able to keep it going you know i mean we stuck every dollar back into the machine at the time. When did you start to actually make a profit as a band and, and, and say honestly to your, to your loved ones, we can live off this experience? I mean, we were paying our bills with what we were making, but I mean, we weren't buying anything. You know, I, I, bought, <laughs> I bought a used car because my old one died. It actually died on the way to the junkyard. Like the brakes <laughs> went out on it. I had to drive into somebody's yard to keep from hitting my grandmother. Cause she was in front of me in the buck. I mean, it was gnarly. So I went, I bought this shitty, really cool, like used truck that then almost blew up on me because it was leaking gas. It leaked gas all the way from the dealership. To, and I'm talking about this place made JD by rider look like a fucking, you know, like, like the, like an Aston Martin, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was incredible. And then I went and I, so I, I had I to pay somebody back. to take my first car away. I had to pay them over a thousand dollars to tow my car and, and, and turn it into a small box of metal. Right. I was and like, then, I have to pay yeah. you. Yeah. It's actually worth so little. I, it's going to cost me money to, Oh, sh-. yeah. It's, I mean, love that car though. That's where we were. Li- that's where we were, you know? So it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't really until we started making the Iowa album that we were able to kind of go, okay, you know, I got, I, I was able to buy a car that actually ran, mm. you know, it's impressive. I mean, just for that, I mean, cause we were all still in like apartments and shit. none of us bought houses, you know, clown had his house, but he had had that before we were Clowns, you know? so yeah, was, the, the maturity that Clown brought into this is so evident in the way that, you know, he he kind of led the narrative early on. It was like yeah. almost you were too young and to be able to do that. So he just carried it. He's like, look, I know what's going to scare people. Let me f- 
and do this for a while and figure this out. And you've all sort of grown up to up to that level because it's the thing about maturity, right? The older we get, if we're lucky right. enough, that, that gap gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until we're all sitting next to each other on the same bus to death. And so it's like, without that maturity of clown, without that, that sort of, he had a life already that he could build around. Right. So he could kind of anchor you all down a little bit. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, to this day, he tells stories of his household having to brace itself for Slipknot coming over to re- rehearse in their, their basement, you know? And it was, I'm talking about, it was a five by six box room just off of the, the laundry room, basically. And half the time I was singing in the laundry room because there was no room for us. Yeah. And so... <laughs> We would all show up, and his poor wife dealt with these psycho to show <laughs> would show up. Paul couldn't afford bass strings, so he would be boiling his bass strings in the kitchen. These are strings that he's had for years, right? We would all show up. I would be freshly woke up because I would work the midnight to eight at the porn shop, but I li- literally lived three blocks away. So I would walk down the alley to get to his house and I'd come in. I'd be like, where's the coffee? And, and they said, they were, you just, you would come bounding in like a crazy person. So he's there, his wife's there, his kids are there. And here we just all come rolling in. We're smoking. We're crazy people. And you're just jacked up from doing the worst oh, shift at the worst job you could so possibly imagine. Yeah. I mean, and we're, but we're all like hung over and, sh- and we're just pissed and we're just ready for slipknot practice, you know, <laughs> we would just hit it so hard. So they would be upstairs living life and we would be downstairs just making this cacophonous noise. And I mean, yeah, just poor Shan that to this day, I still think she deserves a, a Nobel peace medal because it was just dealing with us was rough. I remember you'd show up at festivals and people would like pe- people would run into their trailers. <laughs> like you were actually going to come in and just start beating the shit out of people. I mean, it was that real. I mean, it was it was there was an unhinged nature to it. With Kiss you always knew like there's guys behind the makeup. Right. With you guys, I'm for the longest time and no one knew who you were. So no one knew who was who when you didn't have the masks on. They, and couldn't, they couldn't find us. Yeah. <laughs> I caught you one time at Rockham ring because of your tattoo and the fact that, oh, right. and, but apart from that, man, no one knew who any of you were, but it was, there was a definitely like a tangible sense of danger. Did you kind of get off on that? Did you like showing up at these things coming from Des Moines where that band's from LA and that band's from London and that band's from blah, blah, blah. And just going, fuck these people. I mean, we didn't even realize it for the longest time because we're, you know, it's just us. We didn't realize how gnarly we came off until years later where people would tell us, they're just like, man, you know, we would have hung out with you like a year ago, but you guys were so like, yeah, almost unapproachable, which is weird. So in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. We were so in it and we would show up. We would do our thing. The only people we would really hang out with were maybe the handful of people that we had met 
on Oz Fest 99 yeah. because it was because that tour was such a gift. That was probably only the only real tour that we really enjoyed. Yeah. Because we were like, this is it. They're not going to give us anything else. But then the cold chamber tour really turned us because there was a real sense of people were threatened by us because of how fast it was getting. Yeah. So that's when we, we pulled in, you know, we closed, we closed, we circled the wagons basically. So it wasn't even about us just showing up and coming off as gnarly and dangerous. It was just the fact that we didn't trust anybody. You talked about the changing times and how right. a band like Slipknot maybe couldn't come out and have the impact that you had back in the day. It's a natural feeling to have. And, and I wonder how the future feels for you. This is your last record on Roadrunner. You have honored your contract, significantly undervalued as history would go on to prove, but you honored it. And I wonder yeah. what, you know, what, how you feel about the future of Slipknot in the modern age going forward. I mean, it's, it's cool because at this point, we can kind of do whatever, you know, like we, if we wanted to, we could do a throwback album where we just get in a room and write it live and figure it out. We could turn around and create something really complex and, and dark. And I mean, we could do a, a double concept album with a movie wrapped around it and, and make it something that, you know, either one of those options would be welcomed by the audience, by the, by the fans, because we always promised to take them places that they didn't expect to go. And we have kept that promise to me anyway. So for me, it's really about, you know, what do we want to do? Mm. You know, like what, what keeps us, you know, at this point, we don't need to come back to this until we really want to. You know, contractually, we can we can just say it. We could do one-offs for the rest of our career. You know, obviously, you know, some of us in the band have outside of Slipknot that allows us time to have the audience go. You know what? It's about time for a Slipknot album. So we have ways that naturally alleviate the weight and alleviate the pressure of having to go back to back to back to back if we don't want to it really is kind of open, you know, and let's face it. Roadrunner is not what it used to be, you know, like it's not even a shadow of what it used to be. So there's no real urgency for us to, to stick with them, to do anything. because all of the people that we started with are gone, you know, and they were fired in a very unceremonious way. To the point where, you know, the last couple of years, we have had to rebuild the system that has helped us stay prominent and to do that with 5B, our management company, and to really to watch 5B have to expand and become this thing. So at this point, I mean, we can just can do whatever we want and not be beholden to anybody. I mean, that you know what that means we don't know you know does that mean that more doors open or does that mean that doors close because we're not a part of that system anymore and not that we really gave a shit about being a part of that system but at the same time access helps so 
I, I mean, it just kind of comes down to who wants to be a part of the next Slipknot thing. It's, it's just that way. Roll you know? up, roll up, man. The circus carries on. <laughs> Bro, it's exactly. good to see you, man. I love you to bits. You know that. And this album is awesome, man. You know where I am. Stay in touch, brother. I love you. I will, brother. I will. Absolutely, man. Good to see you, brother. Thanks to Corey for another great conversation. Appreciate it. The brand new Slipknot album up now on Apple Music. Thanks again.